0: Matthew, Mark, the the thing I've never told you is that I'm actually from the future and um, I came where this particular podcast had become self-aware and um, decided to wipe out humanity because it was so good. So uh, I thought I'd start it before anyone, you know, made it a good thing. So that's why it's trash um but you know i'm doing i'm doing god's work really but you know we're still trying our best to entertain people with our uh whatever's what do we do here I, a lot of this really
1: we we <laughs> we talk about horror films in a sort of exuberant fashion and then you know we go on facebook and uh, we have a nice little community there on on, on creative psychopaths and we uh, we talk to them about it too
0: we do creative psychopaths and what a treat it is uh, so yeah uh, instagrams and all that stuff so um here comes the intro mu- intro music but you know we'll be back Hello everyone and welcome to Creative Psychopaths, a horror movie podcast and the world's premier kitchen for horror sandwiches. But what are those horror sandwiches? I hear you call from your car since this week it's a drive through for some reason. Um, well, I'll tell you what, we have a lovely movie filling, delight- delightfully surrounded by two bready, chatty, topicy goodnesses. And uh, that's it. My name's Mark and as always I'm joined by Matthew. Howdy. Howdy. Oh, you didn't go for a hello there.
1: No, I, I need to mix it up.
0: No, oh, I like it. I like it. It makes you sound like a cowboy. Um,
1: it fe- feels like I'm wearing someone else's shoes when I say howdy, though. I need to... yeah. I'll need, i find what's comfortable for me soon.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I may be a howdy doody. Who oh,
1: can tag as tribute to today's lead?
0: Yes. Yes, of course. So what have we got to talk about before we get into it? I tell you what. Number one, first thing is I've got to say a big thank you to uh, Rosie, who um, designed us some beautiful new podcast art to um, relate to the horror sandwich of life. Yes, Uh, a magnificent job that she
1: has done as well.
0: Yes, yeah. We've seen a little bit of an upswing as well in... um, in all sorts of stuff since we've had it. So it stands out. It stands out. It stands out. So, yes. I would
1: like, just as a point of record, though, uh, to, just in case people think that we are ill mannered louts, is that we're, we're a few episodes ahead on the recording schedule because I'm going on a holiday soon. So we had to do it. Uh, and the artwork has been on for, by the time you're listening to this, a couple of weeks now. But, yeah. It, Since it we has. received the artwork, this is the first recording.
0: So. Yes, yeah, um, it was a good shout of you that actually. Um, so yeah, this is well, it's it, it, for us. It's a thank you at the right time, but for you guys, it's, it's a thank you behind times. But yeah, like <laughs> you, like you say, we're not louts. What Can what we? what
1: happened is yeah. we got the artwork, and then then we went forward in time, <laughs> uh, breaking the rules of Skynet, and. Now we're doing the uh, the thank you that, that Rosie so richly deserves.
0: Yeah, so Fox Skynet. Um so the other thing I think that I would just do is I feel like um you know, last week I sort of I was sort of rounding my week off neatly with Ben Wheatley. And it's not a feature really, but I thought because I'd watched another one I would uh, I would just talk about that before we slide into the week. Oh, okay then. Uh, So I watched In the Earth. And um, what I've certainly put this on my letterbox review. I think that it seems like Ben Wheatley's the kind of guy where everyone's got one of his films in particular that they enjoy the most. And I really, really loved uh, In the Earth. Um, I thought Reese Shearsmith was fantastic. And it was a bit weird and... I think if you're a little bit neurodivergent, it, it, it messes with your mind because it's all over the place, especially sound-wise. Um, so, yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. It's very, uh, yeah, it's very like sensory
1: overload at times, isn't it?
0: Yes, like, very much so. With
1: the noise, especially, like you say, yeah. So, so I remember with this one, it came out in 2021. Mm. And I think it was by accident that it was a pandemic film. So I think it was, there was no, there was no plan to write a pandemic film. You know, it was just sort of the cogs were turning before all of COVID happened. But I mean, what timing that you've got, <laughs> you've got this pandemic movie coming out at the same time as, as the pandemic.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I thought I was curious about it was um, they never expressly mention what the pandemic is. Uh, in this in this film, even though uh, presumably it is COVID nineteen, but it's um, you know it's a bit of a thing isn't it because they do all sorts of tests and anyway we don't need to go into the full thing of that. But yeah, um, yeah, that's another one scratched off the record. So um, um, I think I might try and make this a running thing. So <laughs> well, I was
1: uh, I actually had a, a story about uh, when we saw it because it's not an interesting story, but just <laughs> the, anyway. a, a slightly quirky. Uh, way that it's happened is the the cinemas around here multiplex especially they we've got an audience in a cine world nearby and they've got this this terrible terrible habit of showing trailers for films that they're never going to show right and in the earth was one of them so we saw the trailer thought this looks amazing you know can't wait to go see it and then like there was just never any plan to do it and the cine world uh, that's nearby it's a 10 screen cinema there's no excuse for them to not show most films. Mm. Uh, so we just sort of, you know, written it off. You know, we're not going to get to see it. You know, don't worry about it. We'll wait, wait for the video streaming, whatever. And then a couple of months later, we, we were actually in Glasgow. Uh, we just, been, the missus just went up for a week. We did a you know, bit of a tour of Scotland. And when we do our holidays, we, we tend to like come up with these, grand plans of all the things that we're going to do in the day and then we set off about nine o'clock in the morning and then we just you know walk and walk going to all these places and we inevitably knacker ourselves out by about seven o'clock at night
0: mm-hmm. and
1: the, the plans that we had to go out to get drinks and food or whatever they just fall by the wayside we, we get some cheese and bread from Lidl and have sandwiches for tea and call it a night <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but while we're in there as it happened there's a massive Cine world in glasgow and Genuinely, if you want good views of the city, go there because it's massive, it's really tall, and it's all glass fronted, so you can see the whole city from up there. Oh, wow! Uh, but yeah, they were showing in the earth, so we just thought, well, we're going to be sat down doing nothing anyway, so we might as well go do it and watch this film that we wanted to see. And and yeah, both loved it. Well, I think you solved yourself short there. I think that was quite an interesting story. <laughs> well, uh. if anyone's ever in Glasgow, they know where to go to get a good view at least. Cineworld. world, <laughs> mm.
0: yeah, wonderful, right? Okay, well, that's uh, that's the sort of um, I don't know why I've called it wrapping it up neatly with Ben Wheatley, but um, because that would be the end, wouldn't it? Um, but whatever. <laughs> so, so what, what,
1: what films have you got left from his oeuvre then? to, to my mind, I, I think you've still not quite seen a field in England yet, have you? There you go, that's next, then field in England, right. So, that one, yeah, that's. A really, that's a really atmospheric one is that nice uh, it would be good for a rainy autumn evening i would say okay but watch it watch it before then you'll be fine i
0: think have you got high rise i think you've got as well i've got to watch high rise and that and uh possibly something else i
1: think Re- rebecca as well but that was a bit of a that well, was a bit of a misfire from him for me
0: well, while I was editing um, last week's episode, Paul mentioned about Rebecca being his sort of first step into sort of the bigger industry, really, um, and it not doing so well. And then you both mentioned in the earth being the sort of, no, this is more where I'm comfortable. <laughs> um, and that you both liked it, which is why I watched it. There we go. Uh, so, yeah. Coming useful for something. Lovely well there you go everyone so um let's let's get going this first slice of bread which um is oscar related but matthew's going to lead us along with yes
1: so we we are we are heavily into award season now yeah that they're, they're all coming thick and fast and everyone's winning and not winning and everyone's getting mad about it for weird reasons <laughs> so we we are going to talk the oscars they are on sunday night uh, at the time of release and we've got Something that we've been banging on about a few times whenever they've come up in that horror films always get the short shift on them. So what we're going to do, we're going to go through the big five categories. So you've got your leading actor, leading actress, screenplay, either of them, uh, best director and your best film. And we're going to go pick a time in history where a horror film should have won that award, but didn't. And yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about some well between 5 and 10 horror films that that were worthy of awards that they didn't win
0: okay Sounds so, good so is, is there
1: any any category you'd like to start us off with
0: um let's see i feel like we should save best picture for last do you know what i'm actually i'm going to throw out screenplay straight away because i want to confirm with everyone that i picked screenplay because i was finding it very very difficult to find so ultimately i found a film i don't like and put in <laughs> a film, put in a film i do like from that yeah year. screenplay
1: <laughs> was the one that
0: i had most trouble with as well so we're gonna start off there so i'm going for 2009 which was hurt locker which is not a big a fan i'm a big a, a film I'm a big fan of and put Coraline in its place okay um, I watched it. I watched it recently, and I, I quite enjoyed. Uh, well, I enjoyed the movie anyway because it's um, it's quite scary. I think considering, you know, the age that it's pointed at. Yeah, definitely. Um, but there's also some really, really interesting characters in it as well, and the fact that they develop them between the worlds. I just really enjoyed it, and as I say, I mean, I haven't got. I can't give you too strong of a. Of an answer as to why I picked that, apart from the fact that you know, like I say, I was really struggling because um, the only other one I thought was um, I didn't write it down because I didn't want it. The only other one I thought was um, was when Dracula came out. Okay, yeah, maybe nineteen ninety, but I thought maybe it counts as an adaptation rather than. Although I think Coraline might be an adaptation. So. Yeah,
1: Coraline is. Uh, it was a Neil Gaiman novel. Uh so I mean, you know, he's he's a great, great writer, full stop. Yeah, you know, f- fantastic in in all sorts of forms of, of writing He's written screenplays, novels, comic books, and you know, he's excelled in all of them. So yeah, I think Coraline definitely falls into that. It's it's a very a very good story, but it's also very chilling. And again, I think the age that it's targeted at like it's it's probably scarier for you know nine ten year olds and anything we will experience as adults now. Mm, yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that is a great shout. Yeah. Oh, well done me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is. I think for for me, this one is like I could think of quite a few horror films where I was like, yes, that's a that is a horror film that you know, deserved an Oscar, but I couldn't really look at it and say, oh, you know what it it was robbed because I think this is one that I don't know, maybe there are just a lot of good scripts, you know, that, that do it. Cause you don't, I've not been looking at screenplays and think, oh, the Oscars got this wrong as often as I have with, with a lot of the others. But the one that jumped out to me was Scream because I think that's, that's a great screenplay. Mm. And then I looked and Fargo won it in the same year. I'm like, oh, well <laughs> you can't really argue with that. Can you? Cause you know, Fargo is an incredible film as well.
0: Yeah, uh, that's the trouble I was having.
1: Yeah, so in, in the end, uh, I I did feel a little bit harsh, but I am I'm, I'm booting out Slumdog Millionaire's win, and oh. I'm saying that let the right one in should have won that here. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> i it understandable why it didn't in this case. I don't think that it was given the short shrift because it was a horror film. I think it was given the short shrift because it was a foreign language film. Right? Well, yeah, yeah, and. I mean, it's the American Academy, so I I kind of understand that. But also, you know, they've shown now Parasite won Best Screenplay. Language isn't a, you know, translators exist. Language isn't an excuse to not nominate the best, you know, the best writing. Uh, But I think in terms of as it works as a film, in and of itself, it's brilliant. But I can't think of a more, perfect adaptation of work you know because it it, everything that you see in the film is in the book but the way that they've they've edited it and they've emphasized and and trimmed it down and put it into a 90 minute film or or, however long it is it's just it's just masterful they've they've got everything right about adapting you know a a work that already exists yeah yeah
0: yeah, it's, it's just, there's there's nothing you can say that's praise enough for it. No, no. Well, I don't think we need to sell that movie anymore, really. Uh, the, the, we have already, but yeah, you're you you you're right. You're right. Everything you say is perfectly correct.
1: And <laughs> I probably have said it loads of times already, so I'll stop banging on about it.
0: No, 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 because um, I, I keep saying the same things over and over. So by all means. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm going to
1: move into the acting categories then. Oh, okay. So another one that I feel quite harsh about putting in, but I'm saying that uh, the best actor Oscar should have been won by Anthony Perkins for Psycho. Yeah, that's what I got. Yeah, I I feel very hard on this because Burt Lancaster won and I've not seen Elmer Gantry, which is the film that he won it for. Mm -hmm. But I'm making my decision is that I'd never heard of that film until I researched this list. Whereas Anthony Perkins, even today, is is iconic that the performance hasn't aged like so many in that era do. You know, it, it would you know, you put that exact same performance in in a film now and it's still great. Yes. So yeah, that's my reasoning for saying that Anthony Perkins should have won because it's still held up as a great example of of lead acting.
0: Hmm. Well, actually, you know as luck would have it i don't need to say it anymore because that's the same choice that i've got and for the same reasons uh, i looked at it when well i've never heard of elmer gantry if it was that good i'd have heard of it um so yeah um yeah oh lovely yeah well, well that all makes makes me feel good <laughs> So go on. I'll I'll let you go
1: first on that your well, best my, actress. Then
0: yeah. Well, um. So I've got 1992. Now it probably is harsh because I'm kicking Emma Thompson out of Howard's End. Um. Okay. And people, a lot of people wouldn't think this. Um. I would have thought, but I'm going to give it to Virginia Madsen in Candyman. Okay. Um. I thought she was really really good in that role. You know. Considering as far as Candyman's concerned, the actual, you know, Tony Todd himself was wasn't in it all that much. Um
1: No, I mean she, she holds the film together, isn't it? You know, if you don't buy into that, the
0: film does fall apart. Yeah. And I think she does she does do a really good job of sort of um suspending somewhere between you know, a sort of psychological breakdown and a and a horror film. And I, I just I just really think it's um I can't think of the right, word. I was going to say undersold performance, but I don't think that's exactly what I'm trying to say, but I don't think she gets as much credit as she should do. And again, you know, I have to add the caveat that I found it difficult um, to, cho- to choose one. So I ended up sort of um, picking one that really stood out to me because I'm sure Emma Thompson in Howard's End was, was worthy of it. Well, I think, I, I think, I suppose we should say that. I think we're... <laughs> Everyone who won was more than likely worthy of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm
1: going to get to a couple on my list that definitely weren't. But <laughs> All right, okay. But yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, we're not here to we're not here to shit on people that did win. But uh, but yeah, the one that that I've got, I think it's a very just a very boring Oscars trend. Mm. In that, if you play. A famous musician, your chances are you're going to win, or at least be nominated for an Oscar, which is why I think Austin Butler's probably going to win it over Brendan Fraser. Uh, even though, if it was up to me, I'd give it to Colin Farrell this year. But uh, 2018, uh, no, 2018, 2019, one one of those two. Uh, Renee Zellweger won Best Actress for Judy, and right. it's a film that. I don't think many people went to see fewer people cared about it and it's just, you know, in that that vein of just biopics that tend to be, you know, rather boring and repetitive films just get a lot of success in these acting categories, uh, mainly probably just because it's that there's reference points for it rather than an actor actually, you know, creating a unique character and developing a skill, which is obviously much more difficult to do, I would say. Mm. Uh, But in that same year, Lupita Nyong'o should have won the Oscar for Us. Yeah. Because she's unbelievable in it. Uh, She she was better in that than she was in the film she actually won an Oscar for. (laughs) So it's, you know, (laughs) like she's, she's, can you think of any other films where the same person plays the hunter and the hunted, you know, she, she's the hero yeah. and the villain at the same time. And both of those characters are hugely distinctive and she, she's just, she's got so much to do and she just carries that whole thing. Like, like it's nothing, you know, she's just an unbelievable talent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. As, as soon as you started saying, I knew, I knew you, who you, were get, who you were gonna go for, and I thought that's who I should have picked, but yeah, I agree, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I don't think there's anything else, I don't have to add anything to that. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: well, I, I will we'll move on to, to best director, then okay. And it is one of the strangest quirks in, in the Oscars, in that, what Probably most people would say he's the best director ever. Hasn't right. never won, never won an Oscar.
0: Right.
1: So the fact that Stanley Kubrick didn't win for The Shining is, I mean, the, the fact they didn't win for any of his films is a disgrace. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, The Shining is is one that he should have he should have definitely won for. You know, it's 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 a masterpiece in directing. It's just as simple as that. And you know, Robert Redford one for ordinary people it's all right you know It's it's a pretty good film but most people would would agree that you know it wasn't it wasn't the best film of the year it wasn't the best direction of the year but stan stanley should have walked away with that one
0: yeah yeah i again it's a it's a great choice and um you know i wish i'd picked up on that one cuz cuz my choice is it's not a terrible choice, but so it's a. I've, I must admit, I've gone a bit basic bitch as far as um horror movies are concerned. So, and I'm going for, I'm going to for 1978. Now, the Deer Hunter uh director won in 1978, which was Michael Cimino. Uh, Chimino. Yeah. yeah, now I'm not going to debate that The Deer Hunter is a great film because um, I mean, it, it's not for me, but um, you know, it is. Yeah, a good- it- it is a good film. It's a surprisingly
1: divisive one. I,
0: I, I found. Yeah, that. yeah, that is true. I think you we do either love it or hate it. But like I say, because I'm a basic bitch, I've gone for John Carpenter and Halloween.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think that again, perfectly reasonable. It it's a film that you know it redefined the genre, didn't it? You know it it moved horror forward, you know hugely and. Gave birth to that modern slasher.
0: It did, yeah, and it, it, it's got a lot of great stuff in it. Um, as far as directing is concerned, you know, because um, I did, I did think while I was thinking along, I thought that um, you know if we'd got as far as best supporting, I would have given that to um, Donald Sutherland. Uh, who makes really great in that movie, uh, but yeah, that's that's what I went for. No, I, I again, I would say that that,
1: I mean, for the sake of Michael Chumino's own career, it would probably be for the best, wouldn't it? Because say that after uh, the Deer Hunter, it, it, all went Heaven's Gate and bankrupted the studio, trashed his own, <laughs> his own career, and it all went crazy after that for him.
0: I must so, admit, I'd, I, I've never really heard. I think I have heard of him. Actually, now you say that Heaven's Gate thing, because wasn't that a really expensive movie that? didn't make any sense or was yeah so he he,
1: so heaven's gate after he won the oscar for for the deer hunter he was basically given a blank check and say you know make whatever you want and you know he made this like four hour western epic that just didn't connect with anyone although you know it has had this revisionism since to say that it's a masterpiece but you know i it's one of those films so long that I can't really form an opinion on it because you find yourself drifting in and out. Mm, yeah, so yeah. I, I, I'm not going to to make a, a stand on whether it's a good film or not. But it, it basically it took, went. It, it didn't even have a budget. You know, it was just spend whatever you want, mm. and you know, Jimino did, and nearly bankrupted the studio, and yeah. just didn't make any money back, and it is considered the flop of all flops. Uh, so,
0: yeah. I mean, I might be wrong, um, as well, but you going back to something you were saying about, um, you know, like sort of trends at Oscars. And I do tend to find that if your movie's got, it's something to do with Vietnam, it does tend to, um, it does tend to lean in that direction as well. Um, you know,
1: like... Yeah, royalties another big one. You know, you, yeah. play, a, you yeah. play a British king or queen, then they tend to enjoy that too. <laughs> I could do that. Which king would you go for?
0: Henry VIII. That's it's, yeah, it's a bit, a
1: bold choice.
0: <laughs> well, I reckon I could pull it off at least looks wise. <laughs> uh, that's all I was thinking. Like, which king do I look like? And it's gotta be Henry the Eighth. Uh so yeah, you know, I could get people's heads chopped off on that. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. Send me to the directors, whoever they are. Steven Spielberg, you've got my number. Would he make I reckon
1: that? I'd I'd go for like I'd go for like really one of the, the crap ones, I reckon. Like Charles the first. Just kill me off in the first act. <laughs> no one wants to see me, uh see me in that film for long.
0: All right. Well, if any of you creative psychopath fans out there want to fund this um, royalty movie, then let us know. We won't make it, but we'll take the money.
1: <laughs> right. Well, well, it's
0: best picture, then, is it?
1: Best picture. So, oh, I would be—I wouldn't be being true to myself when I, you know, when I asked this question all those those year ago about what my favorite horror film movie was, and I said Hereditary. Right, so, you know, I, I would, I wouldn't be speaking my truth if I didn't say that, that deserved to win the Oscar. But also, that was the same year Green Book won, so of course it deserved to win over Green Book.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course it did. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Why didn't it win? It's Such a great film. I watched it again recently, and uh, it's such a great film um it's such it's so easy to watch and um re-watch you know there's not a lot of films that i think these days that are re-watchable but that is that has really got that um quality to it
1: yeah i mean it's a film that that's very you know very rich in its world building which is mm. is kind of unique for horror i think uh for horror films it, they do tend to Often benefit from a, a lack of world building. If that makes sense,
0: because
1: mm. you you kind of just want to make it feel like it, it's just anywhere, don't you? You know, because th- that's you know part of where the horror comes from. So I think the fact that Hereditary is always building these little you know bits and pieces in here and there, you know, to to emphasize that this cult is operating. I think it's. It's really, mm. well, unique in that re- regard,
0: uh, but also... Did it even get a nomination? No, no, it didn't. No, of course not. Mm, that's sad. Sad. Because now I think about it, um, mid- midsummer probably should have got at least a nomination, whatever year that was, because that looks amazing. Well, it, to, to be
1: fair, there was a lot of stuff that was nominated that, that Was very deserving that year, which mm. makes it even worse at Green Book One. Uh, because I mean, the nominations for Best Picture included Black Klansman, uh, Roma, and The Favorite. So, I mean, you know, some very good films there. Uh, you know, Yorgos Lanthimos, Pavel Pavlikovsky, and Spike Lee for Best Director as well. You know, it, it was a, a pretty decent year on the, the nominations front, but the fact that he didn't get anything. Like Tony <laughs> Clay didn't get a nomination for best actress even. You know, and she is amazing. Yeah, she she's just unbelievable in it. Again, again, like, she, she did come to mind when I thought of Best Actress, but Olivia Colman won it for the favourite that year, so it's like
0: it's tricky, innit?
1: Yeah, I did you know you, you can't really say that uh, that you can say no. But Rami Malek won Best Actor. You played a musician in a biopic. You've it's, got
0: it. Oscar bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I surprisingly didn't choose Jaws. Um even though now you say it, I feel like I I have I, I should have probably done. But um what I've actually done is um pick the exorcist over the sting. Um I quite like the sting, but it doesn't it's not to me, it's not a five star movie. Whereas, of course, The Exorcist is, and I know The Exorcist took a lot of Oscars that year, but it didn't win Best Picture, um, and it should have. Nineteen seventy-three.
1: Yeah, it, yeah, it's one of them that we were saying about Psycho, isn't it? In that it's, you know, the 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 way that it's resonated, which it's I, I know. that's of time. It's easy to say that you know, looking back, but it's, you know, it is an important sign of quality at the time, isn't it? The mm. You know, when you see that it's resonated since, you know, sometimes films, you know, develop a cult following and build up a head of steam years later, but you know, at the same time, the exists. it's a film whose quality was obvious from the off, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm quite happy with my choice there. Um, Although, again, having done a bit of a rewatch of The Exorcist, it's actually a surprise that it got anywhere with it, because there are some scenes in The Exorcist that you think this is the sort of scene where the Oscar people are going, well, no, this isn't for us. And I think you know the specific ones that I mean. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah, I think that went well. I was expecting me to be real, really fail at that, but it was alright.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can't say I disagreed with anything you said.
0: Lovely. Well... That was the slice of bread then. So now let's get into the delicious filling. And this week's... The,
1: the bread is, is it, you know, human organic matter. And the filling is a, a metallic skeleton.
0: <laughs> a wonderfully designed metallic, whatever, Titanic. Oh, James Cameron. And so that leads us into the Terminator. Um, I sort of did something there. I didn't mean to. Uh, so, <laughs> the, the Terminator 1984. Now, I feel like throughout this, I'm going to be arguing about whether it's a horror film or not, because even though I personally think it is a horror film and I can't see why anyone would disagree with me, um, I'm still probably going to do that. So, number one. So, <laughs> uh, maybe we'll answer that question as we go. Well, I. I don't know why I feel I've got to argue. And I think it's because a lot of people would say, oh, it's not really a horror film. Um, but to me, it's got all the, um, well, we'll get into that. Like you say, we'll get yeah. into it. Uh, so I have some thoughts too. The cast in this film is, of course, Arnold's Schwarzenegger as the Terminator. Now, interestingly, Arnold was approached initially to be Kyle Reese um, because he was sort of just, getting his acting footing and they thought he would be better in the hero character and um, James Cameron did not want him to play any play Kyle Reese at all Um, so as I understand it he went to meet Arnold Schwarzenegger ready to have an argument with him Um, you know just so like if I can upset him then he won't want to play in the film but then when he got there Arnie was like I'd rather play the Terminator and I think they had a discussion about it and you know, based on what I can tell, I think Arnie had a lot of thoughts about the actual Terminator and um and certainly the machine process of it, like and how he how he goes about that. So that'd be interesting. Well, there's uh, there's
1: a, a way that that James Cameron puts it in that you know it, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger in the '80s, so you know he's still you know he, he's fluent in English, but he's he's not at the you know the level he was you know later in especially in the 90s so having that guy doing all the exposition in, in the film it would it would have just been a, a you know a nightmare for for 1980s audiences especially but it's it's asking too much of arnie who at this point is still a rookie actor you know mm, he's yeah he's not got a lot of work under his belt by this point and th- there's there's a couple of different stories. I've mentioned it before, but this is a film that uh, Mike Medavoy put together and he he tells it differently. You know, James Cameron makes out that the, like, Medavoy's an idiot and <laughs> Medavoy makes out that he was just putting ideas out and he liked them and some of them didn't like others. So yeah, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, he, he does mention that that on the shortlist of actors to play the Terminator was O.J. Simpson.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well originally the famous one. <laughs> originally they had I've got him written down, but originally they had cast um Lance Henriksen, who is in this mil- film as Detective Hal Volkovich or Vukovich. But originally he was cast as the Terminator. And um I understand they even like had a sort of casting process where he, he showed up with tinfoil on his teeth. And <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I hope he didn't have any feelings. Well, the thing the thing was like, obviously, the original idea, um, which um, oh, I'm, go- I'm going right out of this. Let me keep on with the cast and then we'll go back around. Okay. Um, so I've got Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor, Michael Bean as Kyle Reese. The only other person I've actually written down, because there's a lot of side characters, is obviously I had to give Bill Paxton a mention because, of course, he's the only one to have been killed by a Terminator, an alien and a Predator. So good on him. <laughs> yeah, that's a, you got to be pretty proud of that, are I'd be happy with that. I'd be happy with that. And as I say, I've written down Lance Henriksen, but only because I wanted to talk about the fact that he was cast as the original Terminator. And that was because they wanted to be, they wanted him to be like an infiltration unit, like they're supposed to be, you know, like he looks like a normal person, you yeah. know, instead of looking like a machine. But I think from what I've heard I think that the 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 more idea was with Arnie he looks like a machine from the beginning so that you don't have to you don't have to worry about you know whether he is or whether he isn't it's just like straight from the start it's like who is this machine of a man he,
1: and he, and he looks like it's going to take a lot to put him down as well doesn't exactly, it exactly yeah <laughs> you know he's yeah you know even if he's not a machine it's going to take a few blokes to stop him <laughs>
0: So um, I've got the director as James Cameron. Well, I've 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 written that down because it's true. Um yeah. and well, as I understand it, again this might not be exactly true, but I think he sort of had a bit of a fever dream when he was filming Piranha 2, and he sort of had, had seen like a sort of metal human skeleton or whatever and drew it down drew it out because he can draw old James Cameron and uh didn't he yeah, say something
1: it... like this, like on the press tour for for the new Avatar film as well? She's like, "Oh, I don't get any streaming services because my imagination's better than any of them." I'm like,
0: Idiot.
1: what a what a weird guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we've got uh, the budget in at six point four million and the box office at seventy eight point three million, but um, you know the Terminator itself has made more money than that.
1: Well, that, that's actually another one that was one of those uh, sort of sliding doors moments for the, for the film because it was it was made by Orion Pictures, who were quite mm. a new startup at the time, and this was one of their their first big hits. You know, so they were they were very you know new to the to the game. Uh, I think it was they were the they were the offshoot of United Artists. Who right. who did who did Heaven's Gate? So they, they <laughs> jumped shit before all that, and the Terminator was one of their big films. And it, it's kind considered etiquette that when a film's successful, you you put you know a, a, an article in the trades to say like congratulations, you're w- well done, you've made x amount of money or made this great film, whatever. And and the the guys at Orion basically said you know we 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 can't afford to do this and and they didn't send james cameron champagne and things like that 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 again is kind of sort of unspoken tradition and it it burnt the bridge between the studio and cameron right and it was one of them you know orion folded i think within about 10 years of this you just think you know if it would have if they'd have, you know, maintained that relationship, would they have, you know, got Terminator 2, you know, True Roma, True Lies and, you know, the other stuff that, that Cameron did after that, you know, would, would they be a, a massive player now?
0: Yeah, it's interesting actually. It's, it's funny because um, you say that, I can imagine I can imagine seeing Orion on a lot of movies, but did they do Robocop as well? Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure,
1: to be honest with you. I'll have to have a look at that one.
0: I think they they have. Yeah, they uh, did. They did. That's why. That's why I'm thinking. That's thinking of Orion. Oh, apparently, Science Lambs.
1: Yeah, they, and they've they've relaunched uh, fairly recently, but it's it's owned by MGM and Amazon now. So it's
0: ah right, okay. But yeah, you
1: know, sort of big in you know the late eight. Well, founded in uh, the late seventies, you know they, they were mm. big, you know in the eighties and nineties, and, and yeah, put a it, lot of uh, of our childhood films up there.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's a symbol I can remember seeing a lot, but that's probably why. it's probably why because I watched Terminator and RoboCop a million times. Um, oh,
1: Bill Bill huh? and Ted was my uh, my introduction there.
0: Ah, well, a like bit of the old Bill and Ted. Yeah, bogus journey for me over excellent adventure, but. Um, whatever. I would go
1: so far as to say that that Bill and Ted's uh, excellent adventure is the the reason I got a history degree. Wow. Amazing.
0: Um let's get back to this terminator. <laughs> um so I think getting into the film, I think we've got to start with the start. Um, you know, that opening theme, it it's a delight, isn't it? It's um it's different in this first movie than it sort of develops into later. It's a lot less um thumpy. The, the other
1: <laughs> thing that that it does as well, that you know, it's it's an you know, mid-80s film that doesn't have a shitty word art font on it. No. It, they actually splashed out and put some design flair into that title card. <laughs> yeah, it looks almost good. Yeah, I mean you could tell because they spend the whole time looking at all the little different bits of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's um, <laughs> that's a treat. That's a treat to get started with. I suppose for us it's like a nostalgia thing. I don't know what it would have been like at the time whether people would have said, "Oh, that was amazing," or or, or what. But that's about doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> the other thing about the start is um, there's one thing I always remember is the guy sitting in the truck and obviously all the lightning. Shows up and uh, he's got this voice and he's just going what in the hell, and uh, it's one of my favourite things. Um, I love it's the one idea of my favourite movie moments. That.
1: so I love the idea of that a bin man just just on his route just with a massive cigar just cheering on that while he's working.
0: Yeah. Later on, when Kyle shows up and the guy goes, "Hey buddy, did you just see a real bright light?" That um, is also one of my favorite lines. In fact, say that. You know, sometimes you have a line of a movie dialogue that you say in your life. That's one of the ones for me. It's, well, hello uh,
1: there is mine. If, if. Hello there. <laughs> this podcast anything to go by,
0: well, because I drive fault at work, they all have blue lights on them. Um, you know, the blue light sort of trails ahead of the truck, so you can see the blue light before the truck. Mm. Um, and sometimes it gets shine shone in your eye and. And I will often say, hey buddy, did you just see a real bright light? Uh so yeah, um, that's the impact the Terminator has on me. That I quote weird dialogue. Let's see. I was gonna
1: say that the, the first the f- whole first act of this film, like is it's like a wonderful little twist on the sort of the horror genre and what those horror films are doing at the time. I mean, this is mm. this is like peak slasher movie here, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, those films are mostly, you know, a group of people find themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time. do you know your Halloween's, your Friday the Thirteenth and stuff. It's there isn't really a a relationship between the the monster and The hunted, Hmm. and this one's like it's great because you know we see that there is a character being hunted. We don't really know why yet, but we just know that this things appeared out of nowhere, tracking down Sarah Connor, who we we don't even really know who she is until a, a fair way into the film. You know, she's quite she's just you know a waitress going out on a Friday night until you really you know before you really get to know her. Yeah. And we just kind of think like, oh, this is this is new for us. This is like a, a new kind of danger. And the way that they just they show that is like, it's so clever. Like, it's simple and brilliant in its simplicity because we know that the Terminator is hunting down Sarah Connor and they just keep showing us that phone book and go, Sarah Connor, Sarah Connor, Sarah Connor. Mm. You know, so we know there's like three of them and we see the Terminator off two of them, like just unbelievably efficiently, just blast them away without a second thought piece of cake to him. And we set up the times running out for Sarah Connor. We we give her an excuse to be wary so that the film can move on. And you know that, you know, she's aware of the danger through you know no, the news reports and stuff. But also, you know, we're given a very clear indication of these paths are going to collide very soon. Right? Just, just excellent and excellent writing, like so clever. And yeah. you know, and the direction, and on top of it, you know, to keep showing that phone book, just to remind us that time's running out for her. Fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's it, it 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 it's a wonderful setup, and um I like during that time when they keep flicking back to the policeman, who I didn't read out, r- write down the, the other guy's name and I should have done because I actually really liked the two of them. Um, and they, uh, uh, of course they're selling this plot as well. this Sarah Connor plot. And, uh, yeah, it's really, it, it it's really interesting and well set up. Um, I want to talk about, uh, Kyle Reese, because I noticed something this time that you, you, you've already, that you already mentioned that I had never noticed from the character is that he's an expedition, exposition dump isn't he? all he the is. way through yeah. the yeah. film. he's a constant exposition dump. I never, I've never noticed it before. And I think because it's moving at a pace, you know, he, he does all his exposition while they're, you know, sort of driving a car or, you know, it, or something else has happened or, you know it's done in such a way that it's not just him sitting down going oh this is what's happening it's all done sort of but I'd never noticed it until this time the amount of times that he's like oh and this and this
1: and this. I think even <laughs> when, they, when they do get him sat down in a room doing it they even they do tend to make that quite interesting because they do it in that interrogation bit don't they you
0: know. Yeah they have him in yeah. that scene with Dr Silverman who you know by Terminator 2 is very hated um
1: you know, and it, it again. It just fleshes out, you know, that world a bit, bit more, doesn't it? That he's he's trying to convince people of of what's going on.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention about um, him as well is he has a speech, and this is one of my oh yeah, this is definitely a horror film where he he basically explains the Terminator, but um, it 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 encompasses other horror characters like Michael Myers and Jason Boys and other people like that, which is, you know, he doesn't feel pain, you know, doesn't show mercy. He's just gonna keep coming. I should have written it down properly because it's a good it's a good line. Um <laughs> good that. But you yeah, know what no, you know what I mean he he said he he's got he's got whole he's got all that um you know and it's like yeah, it's fun. It, 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 it's great. It's the, and this idea that um, I think sometimes when I, I think when I think of a Michael Myers and say a, a a Jason, it never occurs to me that to them it's not personal. To them, it's just, oh well, here we go. <laughs> no, I mean like the, the those the, those
1: monsters are driven by by something personal, aren't they? You know you know, Haddonfield and looking out the window for Michael Myers, for example. (laughs) And it's just people that get in the way, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. And and I suppose it's different. It is different for the Terminator, but I thought it was really interesting sort of line, you know, considering that it's a time for those sort of killers where, you know, they're just going to keep coming all the time. But not like the Terminator, um, Mm -hmm. because... I think one thing about the Terminator that really sells its horror movie status for me is the fact that it just keeps coming Um, because they, they take him out more than once. (laughs) Yeah. And that's like just something that
1: goes through the film just really, really beautifully is that like Arnie is, is falling apart, isn't he? Through this film, you know, he's, He's missing bits. He's got gashes and, you know, bits of flesh missing. And it's like, it works in two different ways. Cause you're looking at him and he's, you know, it looks like he's falling apart. You say, oh yeah. You know, our, our characters are, are getting on him. You know, they, they're going to beat him. They know what, they know what to do. And at the same time, you're just like, okay, yeah, they're doing all this. And he's just sort of shrugging it off, you know, I'll oh, just cut his eye out and then he'll carry it on because it's like it's doing no to him, it, it, it simultaneously gives hope and rips it away at the same time. Yeah, it's like, excellent, crazy good. Mm. Yeah, re- really good design and like amazing makeup and effects to be able to pull it off as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could, the, 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 there are bits in this where the, the sort of effects don't fall down, but they go, oh, yeah. But it doesn't, um, it doesn't take away from it at all because um, I sort of like the idea in this one that um, his flesh, he seems to be somewhat dying, uh, which is something I never noticed before because I know the one guy shows up and asks him if he's got a dead cat in his room. And it never occurred to me that he's just letting his flesh just, you know, rot because yeah, it doesn't this... mean anything to him. There's um, a bit
1: with what Kyle Reese says, where he says, you know, he, he's human, where he's got, you know, sweat, bad breath and stuff. And mm. I guess that extends to, you know, festering wounds and stuff, doesn't it? You yeah. Know? But, but- I think with the effects, I think what the, what the film does really well is it, when it shows these, you know, kind of like hawky, the, the effects that don't stand up quite as well, it always cuts to a shot that's practical and very realistic looking.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You know, just thinking of, of the opening bit where it, you know it shows that that hovering tank thing, and it's you know it looks a bit dated, a bit stop motion by you know, today's standards. But then the very next shot, it shows an actual tank tread rolling over you know actual model skulls. You know, any mm. you can see that it's it's real. That's in camera, and it it sort of drags those
0: other effects up when it does that. Yeah, 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 it's, it, well, for effects, you know, the whole thing is just am- a- amazing. Um, wh- it's, it's it's just, it, it's
1: clever because it, it just masks the, it masks the limitations on it and, you know, we, we kind of just lump the whole effects together and, you know, a lot of it, it's better than other stuff, but you forget about the other stuff just because it's, you know, it's, it's interspersed and, you know, those little hokey bits don't
0: last too long before you're given no. something
1: that looks great. No.
0: Um, I'm all over the place with this one because I've written my notes in a, a, a really weird way. Um, because I watched it, I think I watched this film for the first time today with an actual, I don't want to say critical eye because who the hell am I? Um, but taking it in better. Um, and one thing that really stood out to me is, uh, and it's a scene I would have shrugged off before, but the scene in the police station is brutal. Um, That's it's a, it's ne- a rampage, isn't it? It's never occurred to me. Do you know, it just really never occurred to me before, but he goes in there and just massacres a police station of people. Cause you sort of, I think you tend to think of the Terminator, I think as maybe not, you know, not a, a mass killing sort of machine really. But in that particular instance, because I think in, in Terminator 2, they say he kills about 30 police officers or maybe it's even in this one. He just goes in and just massacres the place. Um, You know, and they try to shoot him with all sorts of, of automatic machine guns and it's just, it's a non-event. Um, And that that whole Terminator machine thing, you know, that's like, oh my God. <laughs> You know, you, you can't stop this guy. When, how will you ever stop him? Um, so yeah, think this
1: it's... is like the, the character development for the Terminator. Because I mean, we, you know, we, we we don't get much, do we? Because it's deliberate. But you know, it starts off where he is quite uh, surgical. But you know, he, he gets a target. He goes directly to them. He shoots them. There's you know, there's not you know, there's not a, a trail of bodies in his wake do you
0: think like there's a bit of like frustration built into him by this point? Potentially, because I think it's tricky to say, because if you looked at the sequels and stuff like that, you'd say that each machine has got the ability to learn um, and potentially grow a personality of its own. Um, so there is something to that. Um but, or would you say that he's just?
1: I think he is one uh, evaluated the situation and figured that was the best way to to get the target.
0: I think it's difficult because to me the Terminator is is it is a one. It's driven by one goal, um, which is to get to where it's got to get to. You know, and in, in the in that case, the Terminator, you see, goes to the desk, talks to the guy assesses the situation and thinks eh, I could take out these people and just does it. Um, yeah. You know, cause uh, is she the last Sarah Connor? So, you know, and I think from his point of view, he's thinking, well, all I've got to do is take this one out and my mission's done. Um, yeah. There
1: were, there were three in the form
0: book. Yeah. So the, there's all that part of it. I think it's all part of the programming. Um, you know, cause I think, well, he does kill the guys right at the beginning, but I think if they'd given him his clothes, he would not have. Um, if they hadn't tried to attack him, he would not have. I think there is a sort of infiltration idea to it. So, it, you know, don't draw attention to yourself and stuff like that. So uh, it's a bit of a guess at that, that point we're, as well, it's, the, we're looking the attention's quite deeply. already been
1: drawn, isn't it?
0: We're looking quite deeply into it, I think, there, considering, I mean... It's not a mindless machine, but it is just driven by a goal, I think, later on the more complicated programming, I think. Um, but, yeah, um, there's a whole lot to enjoy about this film. Um, and I don't know how much more it is you want to say. I know I want to talk about the uh, the final chase scene, um, but uh, I don't know if you well, want to... Well, I would say just up...
1: in the build-up to that, then...
0: I would just like to talk about
1: Sarah Connor for a little bit. Hey, hey, yeah, yeah. Because she's for for quite a long time. She she's a bit like nothing as a character. You know, she's she's passive. She's you know, she's being chased by you know, by this machine, and she's you know, Carl Reese is doing everything to get her away from it and stuff. And then there's that you know, the scene with the exposition where he, he tells her that you know, she's the mother and trainer to the leader of the revolution, sort of thing and it's like her character development seems to take place in two, possibly even three different times at the same time, you know right. like we, we learn about her as this this arse kicker in the future and it kind of infiltrates into her in the present, doesn't it? It's like, do you think that she would, you know, be that victor at the end if she didn't have that knowledge of the future sort of thing? Like, really interesting in, the, you know, how that comes
0: about. Yeah, I mean, I've written down with Sarah Connor, she's a hell of a final girl. Cause... Yeah, because by the end of it, she's a proper battler, isn't she? Yeah, which it's. it's... 100% final girl energy, you know, but, but better better than that to a degree, I, I think, but, you know, usually that's what happens with a final girl, they're chased down, they're, they're, you know, completely useless to the point where they go, oh, well, I'm sick of this, right, it's my time to win. Um, but she, um, yeah, like you say, her her development is better than, than your sort of average, sort of 80s final girl, but she certainly hits those beats. Yeah, it's like, you know, she, she gets told that she's the
1: leader of this, well, it's the mother to the leader of the revolution, the trainer to him. And then it's like, she starts making bombs and, and <laughs> just being like, she's seemingly just with that knowledge turns into a badass. And by the time that the the end of the film, like you totally buy that she's, she can stop a Terminator. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah,
1: you know, we we don't we don't see much of her in the present to show how she's developed to that point. It's that knowledge that she's going to become, you know, this this warrior in the future that influences the present. It's it's just great how the time idea within the film, you know, it doesn't just
0: work for the plot, but it seeds into the characters as well hmm yeah she no she's really great and 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 over time they do a great job of developing sarah connor's character (laughs) character (laughs) even more than that um yeah very good very good um so yeah final chase if you're happy let's do it yeah so obviously right um the story I've got for this is: as a younger lad, I loved Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'd watch an Arnold Schwarzenegger film, um, so of course, quite happily sat watching the Terminator. Um, and then, of course, he's in this lorry that explodes, and the salad—the salad isn't being dead. There's a whole fiery person on fire, and when the metal skeleton um, rises up, that was it. I was done. I left the room. I let everyone else finish watching that movie because I couldn't couldn't cope with the metal skeleton. It scared the shit out of me. Yeah, um, and I think it's just amazing. And for for me, that's the moment the Terminator turns into this unstoppable thing because it's gone from you know, fine, you burnt off my flesh, but I'm still here, mate. I'm still on the way, and yeah, uh, I mean
1: it. It sheds. That, that whatever visage it had of being human yeah. completely, doesn't it? It, it? it That's the point where you know that this thing is nothing but a monster now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it turns into that monster. And what I will say is I noticed uh this time is that when it becomes a robot skeleton, it's not moving, moving as smoothly as a human being, but it doesn't lose anything for that. Um really it it's sort of got a sort of slow robotic motion about it and i, I like it. it's got a bit of a limp um it doesn't lose anything for it <laughs> and like you know it's got this very machine sound about it which you know wouldn't have really been drowned out by flesh um <laughs> but again I'm, pick, I'm really i'm picking a whole like there that 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 you don't need, that I don't need to pick. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, and they defeat it again, you know, they blow it in half, but it still isn't enough. Um, it kind of
1: goes back to that thing that, that we said earlier, didn't we, sure that they keep doing this damage to it. And it keeps giving you the hope (laughs) even (laughs) to the point where they cut it in half. Yeah. It's like, what is it going to take to stop this thing? Well, a big
0: hydraulic press as it happens, but but the thing I even like about the hydraulic press, which always stood out to me, is that it still has not given up until that very last minute, until that eye goes out. It hasn't given up. I mean, yeah, obviously yeah. it's not moving anymore, but it you call it whatever directing or whatever, whatever you want, but you can see in that eye that it has not given up until it dies, until it's gone. It still wants to get to her. Um, and I think it's, that's just amazing. That's the one thing about the Terminator that that always stands out for me. It's just this relentless, you know, unstoppable machine. Um, well, well, it's stoppable. <laughs> yeah,
1: eventually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> eventually. Takes a lot. But, but it's always been for me. It's always been the sort of relentlessness of it that um, that it, it is the most horror part of it. Um, but I will say zipping, zipping back, um, you know, possibly defending its horror things. There's plenty of gore in this, um, plenty of gore and a massacre. (laughs) Yeah. So I think the the gore
1: that stood out to me, which is another, you know, twist on the, 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 you know, the horror traditions, is it the, the stuff that I found really like awkward to watch? Was the Terminator doing it to himself? You know, the bit right, where he cuts yeah. his arm open and, and like that, and where he, you know, he takes the eye out and stuff. That was a bit I was just queasy watching. But it's a, it's a machine doing it to himself. <laughs> it's it's mad.
0: Yeah, no pain. Well, no, it doesn't feel pain. He says that. Um... Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Although I actually was going to say to you uh, something else, but, well, you've answered my question already because I was going to say it didn't do much for me. I thought any other situation where it was an eye, I'd be cringing, but I think because, you know, it's a machine, you sort of go, eh, it's an eye. But it is yeah, gory. Think- it is It's very gory. They don't shy away from it. It comes out of his face, drops into the water. Um. But I don't, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot to it. I think there might be a heart rip at one point as well. I think pretty sure he rips out one of the hearts at the, the Yeah, the first guy. Yeah. You know, straight in there. Hand in and out. So, um, well, I don't, we don't need to answer whether it's a horror film because it is, right? Right? <laughs> you know, what, I'm, I'm, again, just to, to talk about how the, you
1: know, it, it twists on horror. I found with this one that it, It has a lot of the horror beats in it, but it does something that I can't think of very many films in at all, but it kind of substitutes dread and I'd say gore as well. It it certainly, you know, it substitutes a lot of those, you know, horror staples for adrenaline in the action beats. You know, Mm. they, they, they turn from horror to your chases and it, like, if I was going to categorise a film, I, w- I would call it a horror action film.
0: I yeah, for sure. I can't
1: really think of many other films that would fit that genre. Yeah.
0: I think I, know, the, the one thing I did notice about, I, I noticed, I keep saying that, the one thing I did notice, um, the thing I did think about with this in the chase scenes is that um, it, it's a very alternative to any other sort of chase, usually, that you normally see, which is, Usually, the person in front is the person that's either the better driver or whatever. Um, whereas in this and, and and any of the other Terminator films I can think of, the people running away are they they are you know even though they're in front, they're on the losing side. If you if you know what I mean, um, they they are at the disadvantage. Um, yeah. There's
1: that other thing as well in that the, the protagonists are, are pretty unscathed as well. You know, they, they get out of these situations for the, the most part and it's the cars that get dinged up. You know, they're not they're not foot chasers and then hiding in a wardrobe, you know, that they, they yeah, drive to true. another part of the city and, you know, when, once the car's too dinged up, that's when they, you know, that's when they get on foot. And it's, it's kind of unusual to have a horror film on this sort of scale as well. They normally, you know, don't cover this kind of landmass, do they? No,
0: they don't. Um, so, do
1: you this know what? It makes the Terminator even better because he can get you anywhere. do not matter how far you go.
0: <laughs> you know what? I didn't write down any of the, um, the reviews for this because um, everybody loves this movie it's got high i would it's, say it's got high percentages of it. well i think it was like 100% fresh on rotten tomatoes which seems odd um uh, 100% uh, yeah critic score oh there you go and
1: it is 89 audience score yeah and it's a 3.9 on
0: letterboxd <sighs> letterboxd has let me down a bit there i think should be higher oh well um so let's see, let's go to our little Facebook fellas. Um, Brian John, oh, Brian, we've had him on. Um, one of the greatest films ever made. It's simple and effective with some fantastic FX work on to top it off. Yes, very much so. And yes. the, only, the only other one was Tan You Put Terminator 2 was better, but I disagree. Disagree. Um, <laughs> but that just lead me on to there being many many sequels for the terminator um but to me the only ones that matter are terminator 2 and terminator dark fate um which are the only ones i think feel that really carry on the sarah connor story um I mean, my introduction
1: to terminator was, was terminator 3 so that's, mm. <laughs> that's not a great start is
0: it it's not no no but i think um You know, there's no argument that Terminator 2 is probably one of the best action films of all time. Um, And I think it's a damn shame that Terminator Dark Fate didn't get the um, recognition it deserved. Um, But, you know, I think this is the last Terminator film we'll really be able to cover. Um, Because I can't... (laughs) I don't think we'll be able to argue the horror for the other ones. Although, Robert Patrick is scary... Yeah, especially in Wayne's World. Ah, yeah. Have you seen this boy? Anyway, it's a. That yeah, it was the psych- first one, wasn't it?
1: No, no, it was the second one. Wayne's World Two.
0: No, it was the first one. No, it was the second one. No, no it was the first no, it was one. second one.
1: No, it was the second one because Cassandra's getting married to Christopher Walken. Anyway,
0: <laughs> we've gone off track, <laughs> I'm right? Just
1: hastily going through IMDb for Robert Patrick.
0: Anyway, it's a creative psychopath for me. Um, you know, obviously.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm not exactly going to be uh, surprising when I say the same.
0: <laughs> Imagine if you came in with a controversial shit. Actually, it's shit.
1: No, no one would believe me after everything I just said. I, I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't possibly carry that off.
0: Uh, that'd be funny, though. <laughs> well, there you go. The delightful filling. Unless you're still looking. Damn it! It was world. world
1: One. <laughs> it was the
0: first one. I thought it was the first one. Um, I'm sure it was the second. I think the second one has Jurassic Park. It does, yeah. There you go. Um, two different things. <laughs> two great movies. Two great movies. Two great movies. It's a beauty. Uh, right. So the final slice of bread, which is you're doing. Yes.
1: So this is this is Matthew's adaptation corner.
0: Okay.
1: Be- better names are requested. <laughs> so. Yeah, we spoke before about how I've been reading more more horror books and, and original titles rather than you know books that have uh had, had films released for them. And in between reading the book I'm gonna be talking about and and today, I have found that it is actually being made into a film. So it's gonna th- <laughs> it's kind of ruined all what I'm gonna talk about because this stuff is happening. So I'm, I'm, I've am i gone in a completely different direction. Okay. So the film, sorry, the book in question is a book called Starvaker. And it is written by Michael Andrew Hurley. And it is a very good book. I enjoyed it greatly. And it follows a married couple called Richard and Juliet. And they are in grief at losing their young son who had been uh, in the sort of couple of years leading to his death had started to display signs that things weren't right with him. And then, you know, it carries a lot of these British folklore traditions that there is powers within the earth that we don't understand. And they are, you know, to be respected, and if not respected, that they turn malicious, you know, and that, they, that they're that they dangerous to play with. And, you know, there's sort of bits about ghosts and the sort of Middle Ages history, you know, which is where a lot of the folklore traditions come from. So it's, yeah, it's a really good book, very, uh, sorry, very rich text, you know, there's a lot of, sort of emotional interplay and the horror isn't too much uh you know it's it's not the the beaty over your head stabby stabby horror there's, there's none of that it's you know more of those scary vibes and like like I say you know that there's there's that creeping evil around that's that you kind of it's not obviously affecting things but you you can feel it around you so, you know the whole thing trades on vibes a lot and it's you know it does a, a really really great job of that so what I'm gonna be doing now basically is just how would how would I make this film you know what what cast and direct would I put together to make it
0: okay. So what was the what was the name of it again? Sorry. The the book is called Starvaker
1: and
0: Star Baker,
1: Starve Acre. Starve is in your hungry. Acre is in a parcel of land.
0: Right. Okay. So oh. the <laughs> I was going. <good. laughs> <laughs> it's a weird British Bake Off movie. Starves no. Baker. Right. I, okay. That's
1: my it's my pronunciation. But at the same time, it is set near where I grew up. So this is no, no. I, I'm saying that my pronunciation is perfect, and and everyone else is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So Richard and Juliet. So they are a couple probably around, I would say they're probably in their sort of mid to late thirties, early forties in the book. It's not the sort of thing that really gets traded on. So I've cast it a little bit older for them because I think it's, I think it would work within a, a bit more of what the, the characters are about mm-hmm. in that you kind of feel that the, the chance for the family that they want is, is kind of slipping by them. And I think casting them a little bit older for that is is a good idea. So it's set in the West Riding of Yorkshire. Uh, so the, the actual place where it's set is fictional, but the places around it are real. So there's a lot of mention of Skipton, uh, which is yeah, place, place near where I grew up. Visited loads of times. Uh, I mean, lovely little village. If anyone uh, does, does want to uh, to go there, uh, so I wanted a a lead from the area. Who uh, Richard is a university academic. He's an archaeologist. So I wanted someone that carries off, uh, you know, uh, an in, an intelligent Yorkshireman, uh, so to speak. And and my God, are they few and far between? <laughs> Sorry, that was that was a little nasty joke at Mark's expense. But no, I think that the the perfect casting for me would be Reese Smith for this.
0: All right, yeah. yeah.
1: So a, a little bit old, So, you know. You'd have to sort of young him down with uh, you know with, with makeup and whatnot. But you know, he's from Hull, so he's you know close enough to the area, and I just think he's. He carries himself with that. Uh, you know, hard to say. You know, he's, he's very clear. He's a very intelligent man, isn't he? And he's, he's quite. A proper, yeah, with, with how he, uh, you know, carries himself. And I think, yeah, I think he'd be great for it. And for Juliet, she's uh, down from Scotland. So, you know, similar age to, to Shea Smith, I've, I've gone for. And someone that. I would say it hasn't really been given too much in terms of range from what I've seen her in, but she's always great. And I'm going for Kelly McDonald. Right. So from train spotting, if anyone uh, isn't aware. So I think she she'd compliment him great, you know, the character Scottish uh, as as is she. And I think it would give her a chance to, you know, flex some of those acting muscles because she is generally the main character for the thing. And for their their son Ewan, which is it's a bit of a a meteor role that i made out because you do see sort of the the, the beginning of the book is you know, set to you know in the period just after he's died, but they the the story you know keeps flashing back to to times in the life so he's a big character in it, and I really enjoyed uh the performance of Lenny rush in am i being unreasonable which is a, a bbc series recently and he he was a character in that so he was uh just a young lad but he had this this little dark streak that went through him and i think if you you lean into that i think he'd be great to uh say to play this you know character that's going a bit wrong because of what's going on around him i think he'd be fantastic for it yeah he is good <laughs> Uh and then the uh yeah the last two uh two characters we've got is Juliet's sister, who is Harriet. And just because she's just great in everything she's in and she's Scottish, and if you get the right makeup and I did luck enough like sisters, I'm putting Kate Dickey in it because mm-hmm. this is a sort of film that she's in loads of and she's always brilliant in them. So she has to go in for that. And last but not least is Gordon, and he is a, uh, sorry, a friend of uh, Richard's dad, so you know, he's a bit older than that. Uh, so we, I think we're going to have to age up the character that I've chosen for, but he's a you know genteel, friendly uh, character that's uh, you know kind of the, the moral heartbeat of the story, and I think Jim Moyer or Vic Reeves would like to get his hands on this this character. You know, he's doing a bit more acting now compared you know, to the comedy stuff. I think, let, let's get him in a film. I would, you know, I'd love to see him tackle a bit of a meteor role.
0: Yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah. And the only thing that we've got left to do is put a director in there. So I think you're going to enjoy this based on what we spoke <laughs> about earlier. But I think when you've got... This film that is, you know, playing with this this British folklore stuff and also an interpersonal, you know, drama between a husband and wife and you know their the family outwards. It's pretty much bang in the middle between Ben Wheatley's last two films.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: so let's let's get him in there. I think he'd do a, an absolutely brilliant job with it. You know, it's it would be he'd be able to make it a bit more mainstream. Than, you know, some of his horror work, but he'd also be able to, you know, put his more of a personal stamp on it than he would do with, you know, something like Rebecca.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, it sounds
1: so, great. Right. <laughs> have I sold it to you? That's the question.
0: Um.
1: Yes. Uh...
0: Right. Well, I- I'm going to put you on the spot then. It sounds sa- it, it the... sounds good, and I would wa- and I would happily watch it. Um you know. so, so based on what I've said, I'm going to just give you the
1: uh, the, the brief sort of. See, uh, I don't think the whole thing's been cast uh, for the the one that's actually going to be made, but the director that they've got in is Daniel Cocotayo. Uh, who directed Apostasy, which I'm led to believe is very good, but I haven't actually seen. Uh, so I can't really say on that one, but the husband and wife pair, Richard and Juliet, they're going to be played by Matt Smith and Morfid Clark.
0: Yeah, so, which I've got, I've got nothing against Cedar, of those. I quite like Matt Smith in in things. Um, but, well, based on, on that and what I've said,
1: which one would you go see? Well, I would I've say been, no pressure, but there's a lot of pressure.
0: Well, I've, I've sort of, you've sort of built me into being a Ben Wheatley fan now, so I think like, <laughs> I'd be more excited to see his version of the film. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go for I'll go I'll go for your I'll go for your one. Um, and I, I'm only I'm only just recently getting in. I mean, don't get me wrong, I watch League of Gentlemen and stuff like that, but I'm only just recently getting into watching Reece Shear Smith do things, and he's very good. <laughs> yeah, I, I
1: really liked him in uh, See How They Run, uh, the murder mystery one that came out last year uh, on Disney+. Plus if anyone wants to watch it
0: oh right yeah yeah um i think i didn't watch that because she told me it was a bit formulaic or something (laughs) it's it it, it, the film itself it's a bit weird Mm because it it
1: feels like it's uh like the, the the screenplay uh thinks it's smarter than it is and also it's weird in that it's not a great performance from Sam Rockwell, which is unusual because normally he's brilliant in everything. Yes, he is, yeah, for uh, sure. But yeah, Reese Shearsmith is, is very good in it. Uh also, weirdly, he was in that second Venom film, just as a priest out of nowhere. Like you, you barely see him, you can barely tell it's him, but but there he is.
0: Mm, yeah, and I this... re-
1: I loved that second Venom film. Did you really? I did. Like if people that to watch that don't watch it as as an, a superhero action film watch it as a gay romantic comedy and it becomes a much better film
0: oh, yeah the problem is it's supposed to be a superhero sort of film
1: no nah, i think andy circus is having a laugh with it and i, I trust andy circus knows what he's doing i think he made he made a romantic comedy <laughs> There
0: <we> go. <laughs> yeah no it all sounds uh lovely um. Yeah, I'm excited for you to get that project going. Um, I don't know what role you're playing—a you producer or something. Oh, I'll 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 play an extra. No, you're just you're not you're not getting involved in the actual filmmaking process.
1: No, no, <laughs> I've, I've done I've done my bit. If if they
0: want it, they can have it. I, I won't charge. Fair enough. Well, that was a del- a delicious crusty piece of bread there in the. Uh... The crust is the good bit, by the way, for me. Just case, okay, so, yeah, some, I like a crust. Some people don't like the crust, so I didn't want to. I didn't want to be like, oh, I like the crust. All right, <laughs> and
1: and if that's if this is something that you'd like to uh, to hear a bit more of, then then let us know. Uh, Say so we're, we're we're trying it out. It is fun, and I do have a couple more that uh, they are up my sleeve. If if people like it, but, yes, uh, I'm,
0: I'm looking. I'm looking forward to that. Um, so. Um, what do we do? Horror things. We're leaving. We're going, aren't we? We're right. leaving. We're going. Um, we are. We're going. So join the social medias, Facebooks, and all that. Letterboxd for me is CP underscore podcast. Matthew is at Matthew Thornley. Um, you know, just whatever we're going, right? Bye. Bye.